the sound of that tractor means it's time for us to go to work. Welcome to the Give Us Dirt podcast powered by Hoopa Grading Company. My name is Brandon and I am your host. So today we've got a special guest in the studio with us today. Burns Dirt was founded in 1977 in Columbus, Mississippi with two dump trucks. Today, they are a leading construction company in the Southeast specializing in turnkey site packages for heavy highway, large industrial, commercial, residential projects. From paving driveways to major highways, their crews are fully equipped to handle any size project. Today, all the way from Mississippi, we're honored to have Nick Parrish, Vice President of Operations and Contracting at Burns Dirt. Nick, welcome. How's it going? It's good, man. It's good to have you. Yeah. You know, I told, uh, you You mentioned you listened to the podcast with um, Herb Sargent. Right, right. And I, at the time, I told him he, he had traveled the furthest to be on the podcast, but I think you may have just... That's right. He well, he had a pit stop, right? He came to their Atlantic office, he the did. Mid-Atlantic office. So that I maybe I've edged him out just because he <laughs> he didn't all the way come all the way from Maine. So no, thank you for making the trip. Uh, you ever spend any time in Charlotte? I have never been before. I got up this morning about five and went on a run, and I was in the uptown area. I got corrected earlier when I got here. That's uptown, not downtown. It is. Yeah. Um, I went on a run and it was dead, but it was beautiful. There was nobody around, and I got to see the architecture and stuff. So it was really cool. Well, the humidity didn't bother you at no, all. You're used no. to that. No, I I did. I was going to try to go to a uh, the uh, Charlotte FC game. They've got a match um, tomorrow night. So, but I couldn't work it in with my schedule this week. So I have oh. been wanting to come to Charlotte because I'm a big soccer fan. So. It's a great team. They've done a great job with that. We we go to the games. That's a good time. We'll get you back up okay. and get you to a game. That sounds so. good. Well, you've listened to the podcast. You know how we introduce our guests. You're married, right? I am. Yes. So, how would your wife introduce you? Um. So I was, I, I was listening to the Herbs episode this morning. I thought about how to answer this this question. And I think that my wife would describe me as the most obsessive person she knows. I'm one of those people that as soon as I get going down a rabbit hole, I'm just gone and I'm lost. And I kind of made obsess about something for six weeks. And she's that she said, will describe me as have a new hobby every two months because I've learned something and obsess about it, learn everything about it to a certain point, and then I, I back off and go on to something else. So so whatever it is, you're all in I'm for all six in. weeks. Yeah. And then yeah. it's something else. It's, I call it deep dives. I do deep dives. Now, I'm, you know, it may be a deep dive about Bruce Springsteen, right. you know, whatever it is, but I'm going to go on a deep dive for a while, learn everything I can about that one thing, and then and then move on. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, be, that could be exhausting from her standpoint. It, yeah. I think I keep keep life interesting because I'm always informing her of this. Hey, did you know this about you know this one thing? And so kind of oh. keeping something new. Going well, on. you know what that, that explains a lot about. Uh, we spent the morning together and talking about a lot of what we're going to talk about on this episode, but some of the success that you've had. I mean, it requires you got to go all in. You got to. It's obsession. Yeah. It's obsession. Yeah, we we were talking a little bit earlier about mm. um, the ups and downs of the business, and at some points. You know, you can you can get to where you're struggling with something, but I think obsession has driven me through those ups and downs of every time something new comes up or a new problem, I'm obsessively trying to figure out how to push through and how to get that bit of information to overcome that problem. So, yeah, it's a blessing and a curse. It is. <laughs> it know? is. It absolutely is. Well, look, I want to talk about burns, but first I want to I want to learn a little bit more about you. Tell okay. me tell me your story. Where where'd you grow up? And uh, what did you do prior to Burns? So um, I was born in Amory, Mississippi, which is a small town of about four or 5,000 people, about an hour north of Columbus. 
Um, at age of 12, I moved out to Phoenix. My dad worked for MTD, makes Cub Cadet and Troy built and okay. those outdoor power equipment. He had taken a promotion um, to be over their global operations and their R&D facility is in Phoenix. So at age 12, moved to Phoenix and kind of got away from family in the South in general, um, which at the time I was really excited about and I never wanted to come back to the South. Um, kind of through there, I was, I really got into music and played in a bunch of bands in high school and, um, through college and I started really? studying. Yeah. I didn't know that part. I yeah. did a lot of research, but your, your it's, band and your songs never came up. It's, it's hidden. You know, it's one of those things. What that, kind of music was it? Anything I could get my hands on really. I, pop punk music and I got into some folk bands and different things and you switch just, every six weeks. Yeah, that's right. right. That's right. <laughs> Whoever would have me, I'd go play with them. So, um, I did that. And so I was very plugged in with the, I feel like the creative lifestyle. Um, I found myself in an, in a session. This one lasted more than six weeks, last a couple of years, but I really was interested in the design of furniture. And I think this is really where my kind of professional story begins is that I started going to Arizona state and they have a great industrial design architecture program. And so I got really into studying architecture, product design, furniture design, really got obsessed with that. And I was, I found myself drafting about 35, 40 hours a week in college and had a professor that I'd gotten pretty close with. And I told him, I said, I really love the program but I hate drafting. I just got to the point I was at cramps in my arm, like it was painful to draft this much. And I said, that's my least favorite part. He said, well, you better drop out. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean? He said, well, when you get out, you're probably gonna be a draftsman somewhere for 10 years, which that sounds like it's probably pretty fairly true after I've found out what engineers, some engineers do after they graduate school. And so I kind of backed up and said, well, what else is there to do in life? And at that time, my parents were splitting up and my dad was leaving Phoenix and my mom was moving back to the South. And I was going to be left as the only person in Phoenix in my family. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, who is my wife now, we were kind of talking about life options. And she said, well, why don't you just move back to the South? And, you know, doesn't your grandfather own a construction company? You can go work there and finish school and kind of figure out what you want to do. So I said, okay, it's Sounds good. So we did. We packed up and she moved in with my mom and I moved next door to my grandparents and we just kind of started this new life in Mississippi. And she was born and raised in Phoenix. So it was oh, a wow. wild roller coaster for her. But it was her idea. So well, she gonna, was she was all in as well. That's right. Yeah. So so we did that and I called really, I guess back up a little bit. I called my grandfather and I said, Hey, I'm thinking about leaving Arizona State and transferring to Mississippi State and can I get a job? And he said, Well, let me think about it. And I thought, well, this is crazy. My grandfather telling me, let me think about getting you a job. What I didn't realize at the time was that he had a deal to sell out and get out of the business and retire and sell out to his brother. And his brother had a few sons and um, was going to get out of the business. It just happened so that that day that I called, the next day one of his like key project managers um, told him he was leaving and going to another business. Mm. And uh, so my grandfather called me back a week later and said, yeah, come on. And so I started on a crew. I was working on a storm drainage crew. I spent my uh, first few days just running a jumping jack around a box. And uh, I did that for a few months. And it was, uh, it was a rainy week. And I had done some shop work and some cleanup on the job. 
and it just got to a point where we really couldn't work. And so we were piddling around in the shop, you know, fixing some stuff. I asked my grandfather, I said, Hey, can I come in this afternoon and see what happens in the office? And, uh, so I went in to the office and they had one of the, at that time we were taking jobs off with the old digitizer, like the old kind of mat and you'd put the plans up there and you would trace in the lines. And, um, I had taken some CAD classes through my design courses and I didn't tell anybody that I was a CAD whiz. And so I got in there and I took to it and I, I, mean, I did a great job. I just owned it, really did a great job in the project management team estimators did not want me to leave after that point. So I made myself indispensable to them. And uh, that was my strategy. And then from, you know, really from, from there on out, that was my, that was my strategy was I'm going to learn everything I can about this business. I had no aspirations of managing a construction company at that point. Um, that was not even still when I got in there and started getting some traction in the industry, I still was like, I'll find something to do. I'll find something to do. And I just really got obsessed with getting better at everything I did. And that obsession, I think, led me to a point to where um, we, I think I was in a, a good situation in, in my 20, well, I was 25. Um, my, Did you go back to school? I, so I finished yeah, at Mississippi State, actually, okay. with economics. So you were working and going to school at the same time? I, I, there was a couple semesters there where I, was, I wanted to get out as quick as I could. I was taking 20, 21 credits and then working 50, 60 hours a week. I'd go bid a job and then go to class and then go check on a job you know, on campus and then go back to the office and uh, go home and eat dinner and then come back to the office and work. I got to an unhealthy obsession with just taking on more responsibility and managing more work. And we were growing and chasing bigger projects at the time, so it was easy to get really hungry for that growth uh, personally and see the business growing. Um, now, and your grandfather, so did that urge to sell the business, did that go away when you joined the team? You know, I think that the first year that I was there, I think that he was definitely going, this kid's not going to make it. I'm still going to go down this path of selling, selling out my side. And after a few years, I don't know if that hard work got his attention, but he said, let's back up. And I was there for six six years and the script flipped and we bought the other side of the family out and so Incredible. i was 25 um in an ownership um as a managing partner um and became vp of uh the operations and contracting and really got into that aspect of it but i i earned my spot i mean i will i, I will i will say that i put in the hours and earned that spot and i think that that's what really flipped him back over to all right well i'll hang around because this you know, he actually does care about well, this. You totally flipped the script right. on him. I mean, he was ready to get out of the business, and you've come in. It's it's a different business than it was. What did it look like? Actually, tell me about it. So the company was started in 1977. 77. Your grandfather. And his brother. Yeah. And his brother. Yeah, they saved up some money and bought two dump trucks and started hauling and saved a little bit more money and bought a track loader and hired somebody and just kind of the same save, buy something else, get a little bit bigger project, a little bit bigger project. What did it look like when you joined? When I came in, I was number 32 at the company. So we had 32 employees. Um, and today? And today we're at 67. Wow. So uh, we've doubled over that past decade. Um, we've quadrupled our revenue. At that point in time, we were purely an earthwork contractor. That's all. We, we did a little bit of storm drainage, but now um, we are much more doing chasing turnkey site packages where we're you know even managing down the site lighting and landscaping and that's our business model now is going to where we can partner with 
um, clients that they need someone that understands the struggles they go through as a developer or as a general contractor. And we can come in and have that expertise for all civil trades and come in and really be able to help carry that part, that portion of the project. Because I think a lot of times developers don't know anything about dirt and utilities. They know something about HVAC and electrical, um, but they don't know what we do. And so we can come in and be that expertise um, and do that, provide that service to them. So. Is that what spurred the growth when you guys started taking on the turnkey site services? Yeah, that was something that I really wanted to do. Um, I felt that we had a need for that. There was a lot of civil contractors in our area that no one wanted to, you know, no one wanted to bid prime on a DOT project and no one wanted to do a turnkey site package for um, a developer out of Atlanta that was wanting to build an apartment complex in Starkville. That was, those types of um, opportunities were really common to where somebody was wanting to come build something in a college town. And what they wanted is one guy to build the site and then they're going to bring in their guys to throw the apartments up. Right. And we seized that opportunity. And I think that's really what changed the, the business to why we were able to flip that script as the other side of the family really liked where we were at. Mm-hmm. My grandfather liked where we were at. Um, but I was able to really take some ownership in the business that changing the direction and changing the product that we sell, that we're not just a dirt contractor. We, we're a project management that on, on day one in your orientation of our business, we talk about project managers as a product we sell, that we make that's part of our revenue, that's part of our money. So um, that drove a lot of that growth and that drove a lot of the change over the past 10 years. And then, what was it, 2017, you guys bought out? Mm-hmm. In 2017, uh, we bought out his brother and he had a couple sons and they went off and we kind of splintered, the family tree splintered a little bit and they started some smaller businesses and they're happy doing what they want to do. We just had a mindset change or a mindset division of where we thought the future of the business was. And then those brothers and the, my great uncle was ready to retire. He was, he was ready to go. My grandfather's ready to go, but he's still hanging around a little bit. So he hasn't given you the keys yet. He's still our president. Um, He's there in a advisory role. Okay. Strongly right now. He does not, you know, he's not there for bidding projects. So, when, uh, so he has. He's given you the keys. Yeah. And, and when did that happen? So March of 2020. Okay. When every, everything changed. Right. For that, the that, world. Was, that was COVID. Yeah. My grandfather said uh, he'd had some bypass surgeries and he's very health conscious. And he, he, he's in his early mid 70s, I think 73 now. Um, he wanted to go and go to the house and be safe. And construction that wasn't really physically possible for what we did. So, uh, in March of 2020, he said, "All right, get after it." And so that's really where things changed for me. Was March of 2020 is really when that patriarch shift took place. And so the last two and a half years have been a wild ride on top of a pandemic. And yeah, you were thrust into a leadership position there, whether you wanted it or not. But you did want it. I you, did. You wanted did. it the whole time. Yeah, I think a few years into it, I realized. Hey, I am good at this. I enjoy this. I love building things. That's what I wanted to do when I was designing things. That's why I dropped out of design school was because I wanted to actually do the design portion. I wanted to build things and create things, not just draw them, Mm -hmm. right? And so I really found this avenue to really create things, create really large things, runways and roads and apartment complexes and whatever else, right? So... Well, you know, and that's interesting. I I look back over your career and you're... You're not that old. I mean, I'm 29. 29 years old. Yeah. You have fast-tracked your career here. And, uh, you know, this word that keeps popping up 
uh, during the podcast here is obsession. Mm-hmm. And you were obsessed about getting to a certain level and to getting to that point where you were driving and you had the keys and he trusted you to go and lead this thing. I'm always curious, when you got to that point, is it what you thought it would be? Was um, it different? I kind of I kind of hinted at this earlier. Um, and I, I'm, I've reached a point where I'm glad this part of the conversation comes up because um, when I reached that point, 2020 was the second hardest year of my career because the 21 was really rough. Um, I got to that point where I had this immense amount of pressure um, to perform, to push our company on through these challenging times. But also I felt there was a lot of changes needed to be made. We needed to clean up our act. Like earlier you said, take care of our house, you know, take care of our own house. And I saw that we needed a lot of, make a lot of changes, but I didn't want to make changes overnight. I wanted to be, um, real thoughtful of how we did that. Um, I got really burnt out. Um, and t- summer of 21, I was ready to quit. Um, I started, uh, I started seeing a therapist because I mean, I was at the, I was at the point where I even considered that there was suicide was only the, the only route out of this because I had fought so long to become this patriarch and to be the person that all of these people depended on that I got to a point where I was, that's what I felt was there. this point that I had to, that I was, I was there, but I did not know the weight that was going to come with it. Um, and that's a big conversation that I have now is because I have a younger brother. He's 23. He's coming along. He's coming on faster than I am. I was saying earlier or yesterday that when he's my age, he's going to far surpass my knowledge. Um, in this industry, because he's so much better at this than I am. But I don't want him to go down the route that I did and being 28, feeling like this was the only way out um, or to just you wanting to run away because you couldn't escape the stress, you couldn't escape the problems. And So what do you tell someone like that? How do you coach them through that? Knowing that you've gone through this experience and you've you've lived this, Yeah. what do you tell someone like that? What do you tell your brother? Um, I am, I'm a big evangelist for... Um, therapy um seeing a therapist um i see a therapist every week uh talk to one every week usually every wednesday afternoon or thursday afternoon about 4 5 o'clock i set up and i talk to one um and she is it's great to talk to someone that you can tell what's going on in life um but also i have been obsessed with this company and i've been obsessed with burns dirt to a point that one day she told me she said i she called me out and she said, you care more about Burns Dirt than you care about your own family. And mm-hmm. that was that was a big turning point that that hurt. Like I broke down. I couldn't. She said, she said, I, you care more. You I think the way she worded it is she said, you light up more when you talk about a dozer than you talk about your daughter. And I was like, man, that hurts. That's where I've gotten to in life. Um, and I think the, the big focus is finding balance. I'm, and now I'm in a. I am in a, a search for balance. Um, one of my like yearly goals, I don't believe in um, uh, the New Year's resolutions, but I do reassess my goals at New Year's. And this year, I wanted to play more golf, which is a weird thing at 29, running a construction company, that one of your goals is to play more golf. I love golf. I played golf in high school and college, and but I played three times between 2018 to 2021. And I just got out of the things that I love and so finding those things that I can be a release from work is now a big focus of mine. And so making a difference. Can you, it is. Can you yeah, tell? Yeah, I'm 
I'm able to back up and find places to breathe. I really got into lawn care. I know it's a weird golf um, and lawn care. Golf and lawn care. Yeah, I've <laughs> I've loved grass. I don't know. It's a grass thing, um, and it's finding. I know that I am a very obsessive person. I talk about that. That's my personalities get really obsessive. Finding things that are constructive outside of work to let that obsession get out. Okay, yeah. if I'm going to obsess about my, you know, my yard. Okay, well that can be a healthy. It can be unhealthy, but trying to find healthy places, healthy healthy outlets. So, Nick, I want so I imagine and that a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners, probably feel the same way that you do. That mm-hmm. this becomes part of their identity that this mm-hmm. job is all that they do and they pour everything into it and they become obsessive about it i imagine that part is pretty normal in our industry and in business in general what's not normal is the ability to be able to talk about it that's right yeah. and so i appreciate you sharing that and i admire you for that too to be able to recognize it um you know it is a heavy burden what you're asked to do and you know i pulled this up from linkedin right and, and so if i read your responsibilities this is what it is these are your responsibilities oversee operations for all employees complete purchasing of heavy equipment and trucks for the company review financial reports oversee financial decisions create implement erosion control gps machine control divisions at firm implement training programs for equipment operators, estimate costs, public, private, military construction projects, negotiate contracts, purchases, change orders, projects, serve roles at entry level from labor to executive. Those are your responsibilities. Yeah. That's heavy. That's Mm -hmm. heavy. That's what I could remember that day when I wrote that. (laughs) But but even though those are your responsibilities and, and ultimately you are responsible for those things, that's not your role. And what is your role now at this stage of the game at Burns? Um, I've, you know, I think this is one thing that helped. Your last question, I answered both of them in a way. We, um, back in the winter, we went through the uh, traction EOS system. Mm-hmm. Um, forget the author of that book. But Gino Wickman. Gino Wickman. So we as a leadership team sat down and went through traction. And um, I realized that my gift is in that vision, the visionary role. Um, I'm not a great integrator. I can't balance the integrating and creation of all of these things. Uh, and I have found freedom in that I'm, what I'm trying to figure out is preparing Burns Dirt for the next generation, what Burns Dirt looks like after I'm long gone. And we're a third generation business. Uh, statistically, we should fail in this generation. I think it's a 94% of family businesses fail in the third third generation. generation. I didn't know that. I think it goes to 99% at fourth generation. If they don't sell, they fail. It's it's statistically statistically likely you're going to fail. So um, I am right now grappling with this vision of what does Burns Dirt look like without a Burns? Or what does Burns Dirt look like 20 years from now? And I'm now obsessed with Burns Dirt for 20 years from now. And I've found a lot of freedom in in that, that that is my role. And maybe um, that I have a gift in that visionary aspect of being forward thinking that I can have an impact down the road for for the business. So a, a, a gift is exactly the right word. It is a gift that you have that, to be able to um, to see things 10, 20 years down the road and to to have the vision to be able to invest in those things, knowing that you're not going to see a return on it right. until 5, 10 years down mm-hmm. the road. So you do. I, I, I agree with you. I, I, from the little bit of time I've spent with you, it is a gift. You've also got a gift of marketing. I think that's a that's something. Did you, Do you know that? You know, 
it may look like that. I think that um, I, I think I don't, and I think I'm just listening to um, I'm listening to the right people. Well, that's marketing. a gift too. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, I, the reason we made a big marketing shift. Um, we had started branding our excavators. Um, that was our first move. And I had my brother and some younger guys. We did the first one. And my brother goes, that looks like garbage. And I thought, what do you mean? He said, well, the logo looks like it's from the 70s. I said, I designed that logo. <laughs> that was one of the first things I did this that summer I worked, that started here. I designed that logo and I realized I designed it for someone that started a business in the 70s because that's what my client, my grandfather wanted. Uh, and so I backed off and kind of let the next generation say what is this what does burns need to look like and i've kind of gotten out of the the marketing game kind of brother trashes your logo (laughs) but you know what marketing is so much bigger than design right it's not just being able to draw and make it is creating a message Mm -hmm. and you have done that you've been able to create a brand not just for burns but for the industry and we're going to talk a little bit about what you're doing for the industry side but i want to hear so I'm I'm curious. I I can see your grandfather. You 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 guys sit down, and you start sharing these ideas with him. Like you've got these off the wall ideas of things that you want to do, like painting equipment and all the and all these different ideas. What did that conversation sound like? Um, when I when I started that conversation with him, he was just um, he almost was offended that I that. He accused me of not liking cat yellow. That was the first thing. He's like, is there something wrong with cat yellow? You want to paint your machines? Um, that was um, that was a real emotional conversation. We sat down. We have a lunch place that we usually go and If we're going to eat lunch at Harvey's, that's that means that we're going to have a kind of a business meeting. It's not just checking in with each other. We have a conversation. And um, so I brought him a deck of this kind of marketing plan and sat down. We started going through all the different things. And I was talking about social media and talking about TikTok. And then I had one that had some renderings of equipment and this new kind of tan color that we've developed that we call Burns Dirt Tan and um, or Burns Dirt Sand, I believe is the, the, the color name for it. And uh, I said, you know, and we're going to paint our machines and put some topographic lines on there. And I kind of flipped and he slapped it, the paper and flipped it back over. And he's like, you're going to paint the whole fleet. Is there something wrong with Cat Yellow? And um, I had to have that conversation, and that was re- that was tough. I would have paid just, money to have been at Harvey's that day. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been an yeah. incredible conversation to have listened to, because yeah. I can just see him as you're talking about TikTok and you're talking about painting his equipment and social media and all these other things, and he's thinking, "What in the world have I done?" Yeah, yeah, because I I one of the slides showed him that we had over like. The previous 90 days, we had had three quarters of a million um, impressions on our so across all of our social media, and I to me that's a big deal. I mean, if you're if you're involved in social media, three quarter million over 90 days for a small, you know, construction company, it's so something to brag about. And he was like, "What does that mean? What's an impression?" It meant uh, nothing oh. to him. Okay, no. we're gonna back up and, <laughs> and define some stuff here, but um, you know. Um, the funny, the funniest thing in that conversation was we rebranded. We came up with this new, this new logo here, and I like the logo. Thank you. When we when we launched it, um, I got him a nice hat and a shirt, and I kind of packaged it up for him. And he stopped by the office one day. I called him and said, "Hey, can you stop by the office? Got some stuff for you." He stopped by, and I gave it to him, and um, he said, uh, "Your grandmother doesn't like the logo." Oh. And I was like, not Nana. 
you know i said she said he said yeah she thinks it's hideous oh and he she probably didn't say that but it was probably he said it was him you know and uh i said well that's that's okay i said because we didn't design it for you and that was he kind of looked at me i said we're not trying to hire you we're you're you're not who we're recruiting and that was when it clicked when i said that and i said i don't like it either you know it's not but it's not for me they're not recruiting me either i said this is this is we did studies and we we interviewed people and we went out in the field and we talked to people and gave them options and really did a lot of research on this and the people that you're that you want working at your business love this logo it's a representation of them their colors are a representation of their lifestyle we use a lot of he accused it as military look. Well, we have a lot of veterans that work for us. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of hunters that work for us. We use safety orange as a the touch points on our machines. They're this kind of tan color, but then all the steps and handles are safety orange. This is familiar colors that they can wear at work, outside of work, and they, it's just it's their favorite color. So why shouldn't we be a representation of that? And so that was when it really clicked for That's him. That's when the light went off. He said, "Yeah, it's not. It's not about me. It's about what's going to be what's going to appeal." To yeah. that next generation. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, all right. So you get some marketing credit there. That, uh, <laughs> you, even though you can't draw, you still, yeah. you, you've got a uh, knack at being able to draft a narrative to um, to rebrand. And right. so I want to talk about something else, too, that I find absolutely fascinating. And that that is this Forge. Uh, Forge is family organizations recruiting great employees. You were instrumental in helping to get this uh, organization off the ground and get it running. Basically, you are rebranding the industry. It's not just that burns anymore. Now you're rebranding the industry in your community. Tell me about Forge and what you're doing there. So uh, Forge is a group of of contractors from our area, um, all family businesses. Um, We are multi-trade. So there's a general contractor, there's a concrete company, there's a roofing contractor. That was the core group that started. Um, And we're really cross-discipline, but we're all contractors. And so we... We kind of got tired of complaining about not being able to find, you know, good employees. And uh, so there was a lot of different side conversations about complaining. And we started going to schools and trying to help them um, look at their training programs, look at their career tech programs, look at what they're teaching in classrooms and try to um, kind of polish them. Well, we found out that when we were going individually, it didn't mean anything because we were a small contractor and the schools would just kind of shoo us away but one day we kind of stumbled across that collectively we employed thousands of people um i think right now we're over four thousand people with the general membership of of forge if you look at all of our employees we're we are larger than many of the largest um employers in our area there's large manufacturing in our area that have a couple thousand people we employ more people than that so we started this approach that we should get the same kind of attention. Um, and so we started going to schools and trying to figure out how to um, help them with their programs and those types of things. But then we realized after a while that we, uh, we set up these programs and they were great and people still weren't signing up. And we realized, oh, well, the problem's us. The problem is that construction has done a phenomenal job at hiding themselves over the past several decades like why is that why did we do that 
I don't know. I remember when I was a couple years into this career, I asked my grandfather, I said, why don't we have burns down the side of our dump trucks? Just on the bed, let's put burns. He said, why? So when you break a windshield, somebody can call you and, you know, they know who you are. I, said, I think that's it. I think people were so concerned that if they had their name out there, that they would get blamed for something or right. that someone would. And there was a lot of that. There is a lot of that still. I mean, but we hid ourselves. We've hidden ourselves for so, I agree. For so long. Um, and... So that was the first thing was that we need to stop hiding. We need to stop being ashamed. And the second thing, <clears throat> we need to stop the narrative that the only jobs in construction that you can get is holding a stop sign. Like that's that's the vision is that, you know, the flagman is that classic job that moms don't want their babies to grow up and be contractors because that's what she thinks of. She doesn't think about someone that's running a half million dollar, you know, D5 with full-fledged machine control earthworks and heated seats right that's not what she thinks of um and we would realize that that you know what we do is really cool we're obsessed about it we love machines we love building projects it feels great to build something we're not telling that narrative and that if you don't tell your story someone's going to tell it for you there's a story there that's right we realize that uh, that a lot of these like the nursing career they outsold us because everybody knows what what levels you have to go through and what education you have to go through to be a nurse, but no one knows what you have to go through to be a dozer operator. Oh yeah. Technology. That's right. That's right. And so we started that and now forge, um, we do all types of events. Um, our biggest one and the one I love to talk about is we do an, uh, an expo at our local community college every October with eighth graders. And this year we're expecting 2,200 eighth graders at this expo and they get to finished concrete they get to stack mortar and stack bricks they get to uh, Husqvarna comes and they can run remote controlled concrete coring machines coring saws and um, you're thinking about an eighth grader holding a remote coring concrete I was at a petting zoo as a field day (laughs) right to go out to an expo like that where you're getting to make concrete and you're playing with heavy equipment and remote control that we partnered so much better. We've partnered with um, Thompson Machinery as our local cat dealer, and uh-huh. we're a very ca- heavy cat fleet. And um, Cat brings um, a road grader simulator, and we brought um, the last couple of times we've brought our 12M2 out there with full fledged machine control UTS system um, to us. This is the coolest thing we have in the fleet, right? Um, bring this thing out there, and eighth graders get to get on a simulator run a road grader immediately walk next door and climb on one that is they get on it and their first thing is i didn't think this thing was this big right and they're blown away um best day of the year oh yeah yeah this thing is to to the point last year we had um just over a thousand it was a single day event this year we're moving to a two-day last year um tickets to it sold out in 45 minutes that's incredible that's yeah. incredible. You know what I love about it, too, is that you're not going out there trying to hire a bunch of eighth graders, no. right? The whole purpose of this is to introduce them to the industry. That's right. That's right. Getting uh, It's the how many students have never held a hammer in their hands. They get to hold hammers. They get to climb on skid steers. They get to get in dump trucks. They get to run a CDL dump truck simulator. It's all kinds. It's really, really interactive. So that's the coolest thing that we do. But that is having impacts in kids' lives because they are getting, even if they don't pick construction, what I'm finding and realizing is that by doing that in eighth grade, they're backing up and going, you know what? There's a lot of options. Um, Because up until that point, the narrative they're sold is if you want success, you have to go to college. 
look, I, I went to college and yeah, there's parts of it that I use and parts of it that I don't. But I know a lot of people that have great incomes and have great lives and they didn't go to college. They chose a trade or they went to a trade school. Those kids are now getting to understand all the options at a fairly early age or right before they're making those decisions anyways in high school. Incredible. Incredible. Nick, you probably, you're probably you going to have a hard time getting out of this studio because your head's going to be so big. I've, <laughs> I've recognized your, your gifts of vision and marketing, but I'm also going to give you credit for this Forge thing because I think it's a stroke of genius. I really do. Appreciate it. You guys, what you've done there is it's so much more than just rebranding the industry. Yes, that's, that's one of the purposes of it. That's one of the benefits of it. But you, uh, you have gained weight. And when I say that, it's it's not Nick and a team of seventy that's trying to influence decisions in that community. Right. It's it's twenty five companies and four thousand families mm-hmm. that are represented through this organization, and you guys are doing so much more than just introducing the industry to kids. You're influencing curriculums and schools. You're influencing legislation. You're yeah. influencing. Uh, workforce development, all these different things because you've you've gained weight yeah. and you've pulled people together and now you're working as a team instead of com- you know just beating each other up day after day. I think I and think, complaining about yeah, it. I think being small business owners that you know we we we're the king of our own little castle. Right? If we see something that's a problem, we're going to go out there and change it. We're going to make a policy change. When we got into schools, we found out we would get in there and get frustrated. And we'd get frustrated with academia as a whole. But what we found out was their rules were the system was broken and was set up for teachers and principals and administrators to fail at teaching students. And so the past few years, we have really focused on um, changing legislation and I think we've now gotten pretty four bills passed um, in the Mississippi legislature the to change a lot of the rules of before before we got involved and not going to take credit completely for the workforce development thing there's a lot of great organizations out there working on that but um, it was really difficult uh, when we started this if you went through two years of welding at a Mississippi high school and you walk and you graduated, you weren't getting a certificate. You'd have to turn around and go through two more years to get the same certificates of welding in a community college. That's that's crazy. That kid should be able to walk out. He's they've they've been welding for two years in high school. They should get their certificates and go and go to work and start life. And so that was a simple one of, you know, getting uh, the non credit, dual credit stuff worked out. And so getting a lot of those things and now we've got Uh, Mississippi just launched uh, career coaches. That was the most recent one we worked on. So that any high school that wants one um, or multiple for certain um, school districts, they can get a dedicated career coach. So it's kind of like a counselor just for careers. And so they can come in and talk to students and say, what do you want to do with your life? What do, what kind of hobbies are you into? What what interests you? Okay, let me get you connected with companies and trading oper, you know training pathways, so that you can find that career. And when are they doing that? What age? Um, so that's all for high schoolers. That's high schoolers. So, yeah, that's high schoolers. Yeah, we we went through a uh, trial of it the past the past two years. Um, we got some grants and we launched a couple dozen of them across the state, um, and they were really successful. Awesome. Um, and so now. Now that's I think that's launching this fall. So that's incredible. Congratulations! Yeah. What a great what a great initiative and just a uh, incredible model that mm-hmm. we got to figure out how to replicate that in different communities. I know you don't want any part of that, but <laughs> right. But the rest of us do need to figure that out. How do we how do we influence that at that time? Right when when they get out of school, you've already missed your window. 
right, right. to introduce them to this and to they've got their mind made up of what they want to do or what they like kind of like you you thought you were going to go and uh what was it? You went to Arizona State to right. be a... I wanted to be a furniture designer. Furniture I designer. I was obsessed with chairs at the time. But is that why you went? Um, or it, it was a local university, and I knew they had a good program for it. And I was But you were introduced in, to it there. Yeah. That was, well, when I was in high school, I, my high school, weirdly enough, had a, a good architecture elective course. And I took a lot of archi- uh, architecture CAD classes in high school. And so when I saw architecture and industrial design as a pathway in college, I said, well, I've done a little bit of that. I'll go try that. And I ended up liking it except for the whole. And that's the key. We've got to introduce them to these things so they can find out what they like, find that's out right. what they're good at, what they're gifted at. Yeah. They may go in eighth grade and go climb on a road grader and go, oh, this is, this is lame. I don't yeah. want to do this. Right. But at least they get the option. At least they got to see it. So, well, so this is the part of the podcast where I ask you to give us a dirt a little bit. You, what is uh, what's next for Burns? What's uh, what's the next obsession? Um, the next obsession we have spent um, the past year, you know, really thinking about what does Burns dirt look like down the road. Um, we have shifted away from, I think, the culture of the obsession with iron and everyone loving iron to uh, being your brother's keeper. And that Burns Dirt as a whole, we are going undergoing a massive cultural shift to people are first. And that is the conversation now in that people are first. And I think that as we go down the road, that that is going to carry us across lots of turbulence and tribulations that we're going to have going down the road. And I think that we're having a lot of leaders step up right now because of that people first mentality. And I think we're going to have a lot of growth. Um, we're, we're branching out and going out in some other markets. It's not a secret to anybody. We've, we've been reaching over into Alabama a lot further and chasing projects um, because we have some really young leaders that we're, our, our craft side of the field um, is 15 years younger than the industry average. We have a lot of young leaders in our, our, we only have a couple of superintendents over 40, most of them they're in their thirties. Um, and we're a young business and there's a lot of those guys want more opportunities in their, in their, in their lives. And so we're growing in order to give those folks more opportunities, um, so that they can reach, you know, they can shoot for the stars and focusing on making them successful is going to make the business as successful as possible. But I think you're going to see Burns Dirt reaching out past, you know, the golden triangle in Columbus, Mississippi, and getting into a larger radius. So, Charlotte, not Charlotte, not Charlotte. Yeah, this is this is a long ways away. I'm here. just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, you know what? I, I love the investment in the people, and we talked about this earlier as well. I never will forget. Brian told me. Brian McManus uh, said, "If we can get our house in order, and we can get people to enjoy." coming to work and enjoy working with each other and we can invest back into them we'll have people lined up to work here Mm -hmm. and so we were spending so much time and so many resources trying to uh, fix the problem but the problem was under the hood and we had to go in and we we had to start working on ourselves first but i agree with you 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 make that investment into people then all the other problems will go away all right i agree well, Nick, it has been a joy to have you here. Hats off to you. I cannot imagine uh, having everything on my shoulders at 29 years old that you have. That's a that's a lot, but there's no doubt that you are doing a great job with it. You are 
you're strong and you are doing a lot, not just for your company and all the families represented at Burns Dirt, but for the industry and for the state of Mississippi. So hats off to you. It's, it's inspiring. Uh, appreciate all the you guys came up here and gave us time. I think we took more notes today than you guys <laughs> did. So thanks for coming um, all the way from Mississippi yeah. and sharing with us. Well, I appreciate it. Come see us sometime. Hopefully, we, you can make it out to the expo. So. I want to come to the expo. It's yeah. October, right? October. Yeah, I'll, I'll get you the dates. We'll do that. Nick, right. thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Give Us the Dirt. Our podcast is powered by Hoopa Grading Company in Charlotte, North Carolina. And visit our website at giveusthedirtpodcast.com. And subscribe to this podcast on Apple and Google so you never miss an episode.